didn't come out right. <clears throat> There's a few folks here that are doing particularly awesome, right? Uh, I'm looking around. There's one in the back row wearing a white shirt. I don't know where his rascal brother is. But uh, Josh Whittakin, Josiah Whittakin, and uh, our third young guy must have, I'm not sure where he went. Caleb, where's Caleb? Oh, there you are. You could have bit me and I wouldn't have even known. They are part of the Chewila baseball team that has made it all the way to the state semifinals. <laughs> That's right, give them a round. I don't, somebody asked me this morning, I, I'm not aware, maybe it goes clear back to, what's that mean? How far did they go? Same spot. So 2004 was the last time they were there. But I was asked the question, when was the last time that Chewila Baseball won at all? I'm not sure they have. It might go back to the 50s uh, or older, before they were keeping records, at least on paper, chiseling it in stone. It, it might be chiseled into courtsite. Somebody want to climb up and take a check. But uh, congratulations, not just to them, but uh, it was a big day yesterday for um, Cougar Athletics all the way around. Uh, the track team, the golf team, uh, all did well. There's kids going to state in those, in those, uh, uh, those events as well. And so good job, you guys. Uh, we're not here to necessarily talk about sports, but... Give credit where credit's due. Uh, these kids have worked hard. Um, a couple weeks ago, <coughs> a couple weeks ago, uh, we were talking about uh, this idea of. Uh, last week we talked about actually about contentment, but several weeks ago we talked about this idea that, and I made this statement: if you're looking for work, if you're looking for work, and this is talking about God providing in the whole area there in First Timothy four, and and providing for widows, and and the idea is is that you're to provide for yourself, and if you can't do that, then your family needs to do that. If your family can't do it, that's where the church should step in. But I made this statement, and I was, you never know what goes through my mind. I don't really even know what goes through my mind while I'm preaching, but I made the statement that if you're looking for work, and you should be working, you can pray with confidence. You can pray with confidence because God wants you to have a job. Because God wants you to provide for your family, men. Specifically men. I'll say it that way. And as I was saying that, I was standing right here, but I turned and I looked this way. And Barry was seated right there. And Barry is one of those guys that's been looking for a job. And it wasn't like a pointed statement about Barry or, uh, uh, or about his um, search for employment. Uh, and so after we, afterwards, I was kind of a little embarrassed thinking, oh no, maybe he thought that I was like, you know, like put finger in the chest on him a little, you know, and, and making fun of him. But that wasn't it at all. That wasn't it at all. In fact, I think Barry would say that like that was something that God was kind of kept confirming as he's been in this um, job search. And actually, uh, we're going to hear from Barry a little bit. If you'll fire up the, uh, the white mic, Haley. Barry has um, come with a few things that he would like to share kind of about this, you know, in relationship to what we're just talking about, and then we'll dive into 1 Timothy chapter 6. So, Barry, go for it. Thanks, Mark. You bet. No, what Mark said there, it, it didn't, I didn't feel like he's jabbing at me. There's other times I feel that way. <laughs> he's a little more subtle usually, <laughs> but no, no, it was awesome. Um, so, I, I just want to give a testimony. God, God has been so good. Um, he's always good. But I just want to encourage you all. I, I, um, 
it's been a rough few months, but it's been a good few months, and so let me, let me just um, tell you my hopes. So life, life may not always go or be going the way you think it should or the way you hoped it would, but I want everybody to know that God is strong and he loves you. So that's what I hope you get out of this short talk real quick. Um, and so that, that's my goal right in the next few minutes here. And before I pray, I want to read a scripture to you, then we'll come back to the scripture as I tell you what happened. So it's a classic psalm, but there's something in here that I've been learning um, over and over again. So it's Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the dark valley, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is the verse that I want to, I'll, I'll be talking about here. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this time I get to share here with the church, and I pray that, um, that at least somebody, Lord, would be encouraged, if not us all, by, by your love for us, your provisions, your, your goodness, your grace. Um, we all have things that we're going through, Lord, and you know them all. And um, we pray that you would just speak to people right now. Love you. Amen. So life doesn't always go the way you think it should. How Tiff and I and my kids got here is a perfect example of that. We, um, it's been almost 15 years since we started going to church here. It'd be this, this September will be 15 years. And uh, before that, we were in Oregon. I taught third grade. We went to Moody Bible Institute. That's where Tiff and I first met. It was at Moody Bible Institute. And while I was there, um, I had a desire to serve Native American students, or Native American families was, was my desire. And, um, and I was getting my degree um, in elementary education, and I had a mentor there who worked on a couple reservations in Oklahoma. We call them DOC. And, um, and I spoke to him a little bit about, you know, how, how did he best reach? And he said, you know, Barry, I'm still trying. He's like 60 years old. I don't know how to reach Native Americans. I'm not Native, but you are. So you need to go. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, so just go. Just be yourself. And he said, well, I said, well, how, do you, how would I best reach them myself? And he said, well, what do you do? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm going to be a teacher. Well, go be a teacher. So what do you think about being a principal? He said, go be a principal on the reservation. That's a great idea. And so from that moment at Moody, I was like, that was my goal. I'm going to be a principal at a school on a reservation. And so fast forward a couple years, we were in Oregon. Fast forward a couple more years, we made it here. I was teaching at Hunter's. Fast forward 11 more years, I was teaching at Chihuahua. And, um, and in that time, I, I'd, I'd, we, we'd come here, we served here, I became an elder, um, doing a lot of things, but still having that desire to serve Native American students, not knowing how or when that was going to happen. So I got a call from a friend of mine, Tina McDonald. She's from this area. Some of you may know her, but she, she was a superintendent, and then she also took a job at WSU um, training principals and superintendents. And she called me. She said, Barry, it's your lucky day. I know what you're going to do. You're going to come to WSU, 
and we're, it's going to be paid for. <laughs> I was like, oh, really? He said, yeah, we have a principal program, and you're, you're the perfect candidate for it. You're Native American, and you want to be a principal. <laughs> and so, so I was like, okay, I'm in. So I was in. I was fully in. It was an amazing time, two years of training to be a principal. Um, Pete and I were in the same classes together, Pete Whittakin was in that same program, not the Native American side, but in some of the same classes. Um, and so we, that was, I got to know Pete there. But um, anyways, again, I didn't know that that was going to happen. It just it happened, and God was in control. So I, I graduate. I'm at, I'm at Chihuahua um, at this time. Met a lot of great people. Didn't know where I was going to go from there. I, I, I loved working in Chihuahua. I was with my kids close to home. It was like a five-minute drive. When I was over at Hunter's, we were driving, I was driving about 45 minutes a day, and so, or one way, and so I like that being in Chuila. but God had other plans. So then I, st- I applied to different schools that serve Native kids on the Colville Reservation, and, um, and we also um, interviewed over at LaConnor. Um, they've got a Native population over there on the west side, didn't get any jobs, um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to be in Chuila. Well, then I got a call from uh, another superintendent friend of mine, and he said, Barry, I got the perfect job for you. Inchilim School District needs a principal. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, dear, I didn't want to go there. <laughs> I didn't want to go there. The reason why is because my family's from there, and I knew it was a tough school. That's where all my family's from, but I knew Right when he told me that, I felt like, okay, that's where God wants me to go. It's kind of like my Jonah moment. Anywhere but in Chalim, Lord, anywhere. But no, just kidding. No, it wasn't that bad. But So I went over to the school, and and it was totally different than what I thought. And I, I met the people there, and I just knew this is where God wanted me to be. I was like, okay, Lord, here we go. Interviewed, got the job, and that was three years ago. And then COVID hit. Crazy times happened at school. I mean, you guys, you guys have seen it on the news, but in Inchilim, it was even 10 times crazier. Um, we don't have internet access over there. It, it was just difficult. And um, so I'm at Inchilim. Things are going well. You know, I've, it's hard, but things are going well. Then all of a sudden, a dark cloud just came over, like last May, and a lot of crazy politics and crazy things were happening that I didn't understand. And then in August, um, I found out that the school board and the couple of people on the union were working, conspiring against me to get me out of the school. And it was just a total like slap to the face and shock and not what I had planned, (laughs) not what I planned at all. And so it was partially my pride but also partially, well, mostly um, my love for the students in the community that I didn't give up right away. I didn't just quit. I just didn't beg it. I just wanted to do what was right for the students and the families. So I hung in there, hung in there, hung in there until about December, and then um, we figured out a way for me to resign in February. So since February, um, I haven't had a job. I've resigned. And so that's why some of you may have seen me around town more than usual. <laughs> I, my my wife gets calls from her friends every once in a while. Hey, I saw your husband in town. What's going on? <laughs> They're keeping an eye on me. 
But, um, but no, it's been really weird. And um, that was very humbling, very difficult situation and humbling. Things that were just totally out of my control. And um, initially, I just wanted to fight. I wanted to be like, oh, this is wrong. I'm going to prove them wrong. But, you know, ever since I was a little kid, I've known that God has been in control. Whether before I even became a believer, I always had this sense of, like, everything's going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. And because it was so crazy, because it was so opposite of what I thought was going to be happening, I knew God's hand was in this. And, and as hard as it was, as difficult as it was, I knew God was doing something because there's, I know he loves me and I know he's strong. And so I went through it. I was struggling through it. And um, Tiff could probably testify more <laughs> to that part of what I was going through. But it wasn't easy. But, but I knew God was, gonna, God was in control. So let me let me kind of fast forward. I'm, I, I don't want to ramble too much because I, I want Mark want to hear Mark's message again. Um, but um, but there, through this time, this dark time, God had been giving me so many blessings. So many people were reaching out to me that I didn't even know. Superintendents from all over the area, I had two superintendents, you know, constantly talking to me, saying, "Barry, keep your head up, man. You you went to Inchalim with the best intentions and." None of this is is your fault. Just keep your head up. Keep your head up. You're gonna you're gonna get a job. Because that was my fear. I'm like, man, am I ever gonna get a job again? Like, will I be able to be a principal again? All these years of training and experience is it in the garbage? Even though I didn't do anything. And so, anyways, I just it was a continual thing. But but God kept bringing awesome people in, into my life. And so, once it once jobs started coming open, I had to apply. And um, when I applied, I had to tell the superintendents where I was applying what was going on. And my first application was here in, in town at Valley. And that was really hard because you go in, and you tell them what happened, and it's just humiliating. Like, yeah, I, I resigned, and this is why. And, and they don't know the full backstory, but I wanted to be totally honest with wherever I applied that they knew what was going on. And, um, and then I had other superintendents that would talk to them as well. So this, the superintendent at Valley, you know, I thought that went really bad <laughs> the first time. I, I was, I, it was awkward, and I was awkward, and I was humble, or hu- not humble, I was humiliated. <laughs> and, and um, But he called me in for an interview, and so I got an interview, and I thought, oh, okay. So I go to interview, didn't get the job. I interviewed really okay, but I haven't done it in over four years or three years. And he called me up and he said, hey, Barry, you didn't get the job, but I want you to come to my office because I want to help you land that next job. And so he was reaching out to me. All these other superintendents were reaching out to me. We went through and he told me what I need to do in the next interview to get the next job and how to present myself better and let people know who I am. So I did that. Interviewed at a couple more school districts, and one was Medical Lake, and the other was um, Springdale. Didn't get the job, and then one at Springdale, they're like, "Oh, we wish you had a, we wish we had another job for you because we'd love to hire you, but we hired from but somebody from within the district." So I thought that was kind of lip service. I thought it was like, "Oh, <laughs> you know, just pat me on the back." We we do, but but anyway, so kept applying. It wasn't getting. It wasn't happening, and so I 
through this, though, I, I, you know, Mark was preaching, and when he, when he preached that message, I just, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep interviewing, and maybe I'll go back into teaching. I don't know. What, what's God's plan for me? And, um, but I knew God, God was in control, and he was strong. And, um, and so about a week later, after Mark said that, I got a call out of the blue from Medical Lake, and they said, hey, Barry, are you still available? And I said, yeah. I said, we have this position for you. We created it. We, we were going to split one position into two, but we want to have two positions because we really want you to be on our team. Will you come and join us? And so I said, yes. So I, I did get a job, which I'm excited about at Medical Lake School District. And that brings a whole lot of new challenges that we're going to have to face. But, um, but God was faithful through it all. And, and, and we have this really awesome job. Um, and I, let me go back to the text here real quick, because in this verse, verse five, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Through this all, it made no sense. At Inchalim, there was a group of, there's kind of a dark group that was just against me, and I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know you could act, this could actually happen, what had happened to me. Um, and they just, they didn't want anything, any good for, for me. But God had another plan, and God just continued to bless me. I got time with my family that I've never had before. Um, Silas is almost, he's going to be out of the house before we know it, so I've had time from February till now, extra time, and the twins as well, and with Piper and my wife, and life is way less stressful now that I'm not working at Inchalim, and God is just like feeding me. He's just feeding me. He's giving me a new, new energy, new, um, new life. And, um, and when I went down to Medical Lake just on Friday for the first time to the new school that I'll be an assistant principal at, um, it was amazing. It was a breath of fresh air. And I went to the district office, and the people at the district office were really nice. And they, one lady said, oh, Barry, I can't believe you're here. We're so excited you're here. We just pinched ourselves. We didn't know that this would actually work, but we're so happy that you're here. We can't believe it's happening. And I kind of looked at her funny, like, oh, I haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> I've heard the total opposite. <laughs> but, but no, God was preparing a table, not, not away from my enemies, but in, in the presence of my enemies. And the reason why I think he does it in the presence of the enemies is because he gets the glory. There's nothing I've done personally to, to land these jobs or to get this job it's been people working on my behalf that, that God has been using to open the doors and to get me, to get me the interviews, to get me in, in the right seats at the right time and, and all the support behind me. And so I, I want you guys to know if you're, if you're in a tough spot right now, whether it's uh, you know, a job, maybe it's health, maybe it's family, maybe it's whatever the issues may be, just remember that God is strong and he loves you and he's got your back. And he is preparing a table for you in the presence of your enemies so he gets the glory and that we can testify and say that our God is good, he is strong, and he loves us. So let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you. I hope I didn't ramble too much, but I pray that, Lord, you are glorified. I pray that everybody here at church is, is um, encouraged by you because lord we do love you and we want to glorify you we know you fight our battles we we can't fight we're weak but lord if there's battles out there i pray that you would fight them for us and that you would um
go before my brothers and sisters here and let them know, Lord, that you love them and that you are strong and that you'll prepare a table before their enemies. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Barry. You bet. Celebrate those victories, absolutely. First Timothy chapter 6. We're going to dive right into the last little piece. I almost thought as Barry was wrapping it up, why don't we just sing our last song and call it a day? Um, <clears throat> but that would have a, a little bit of a negative effect. One, it's the people downstairs that have really worked their tails off to, to teach these little kids would be super short on time. And uh, two, we would be missing the last piece of the puzzle of the book of First Timothy. This letter that Paul has written to his young protege, uh, Timothy, who's pastoring and, and leading the churches, not church, but the churches, a uh, variety of gatherings in that area of Ephesus. And uh, <clears throat> we're going to pick up right in verse 11, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, where Paul says this, he says, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is <clears throat> the blessed and the only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Let's cut it off right there. There's a few more verses. We'll tack those onto the end of the service. What Paul's telling Timothy here, what he's, what he's been writing to Timothy in uh, in a, a, a overarching sort of a way, is this. He's saying, hey, Timothy. And I think he's saying, hey, Christians. I think he's saying, hey, church at Addy. We're called to be different. We're called to be different than the world. There's no two ways that you can get around that concept, that idea. We're called to be different. Different in all these variety of different ways that we're going to go through. But right from the beginning, he says, But you, O man of God, talking to Timothy, flee these things. Uh, flee what things, Timothy? Or Paul, Timothy might be asking. Flee what things? Well, the, 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 previ- the, t- the context of the previous verses was all about the love of money. Last week we talked about contentment. Finding contentment in what God has for us. A lot or a little doesn't matter. Are we content with what God has for us? And Paul tells Timothy that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. And, and, uh, uh, and, the, and the, people that, the people that gravitate towards that, the mentality in the world, it, it, he uses these terms, it pierces them through with many, many 
many sorrows. In other words, chasing after the buck is going to bring you down, right? I was talking to a young guy uh, a couple nights ago, lives on the west side, and, and uh, <clears throat> his name's Mikey, a friend of ours. He used to live over here. But uh, Mikey loves to hunt and um, loves to bow hunt. And um, although I'm not sure how good a shot he is, but um, and the re- <laughs> I, d- I don't say that to make fun of Mikey, but <clears throat> the deer that he's been after has now affectionately been nicknamed Pincushion. Because uh, it's had several, apparently it's had several, been hit a few times and is still, still trucking. And that's kind of the idea, if you will. <laughs> I thought about that deer, um, old Pincushion. That's kind of what happens to us in life when we uh, chase after. You finally got it, huh? All right. That's kind of what happens to us. That's kind of the way that the love of money is in your life and in my life as we become kind of this pincushion of sorrows, right? We become this pincushion of sorrows. And Paul's telling Timothy here in verse 11, hey, leave all that. Run away from that mentality. Run away from that worldview. Run away from those ideals that are all around you, Timothy. Don't buy in to that mindset. He says, flee. Flee these things. And so we're called to be different in our affections. We're called to be different in our affections. Timothy was commanded to be different from those who live for riches and material wealth. He was to flee... flee the proud arguments of those who would misuse God's word and who suppose that we should follow God just for what we can get out of it. When we're sharing the gospel with somebody, don't make it all about what they get out of it. That's not the point of the gospel. Now, are there blessings? Is there eternal life at stake? Is, is there eternal destiny at stake? Absolutely. And so, so I'm not saying deny that part of it. But if we share the gospel with people in a way that, that is, comes across where uh, we're encouraging them to just add Jesus to their life and to their party, you know, so, so they can get more cash and prizes because they have Jesus on their side, then we have missed the point of the gospel. It's not about just adding Jesus to our life to somehow make us better. It's about Jesus coming and taking over our lives, uh, emptying us, and then re- restructuring, rebuilding, and, and refilling us with himself. That's the gospel. That's the essence of it all. Don't miss that. Our affections are important. We're called to be different in our affections. We need to flee this worldview that more money is the solution to our deepest need. It's a mirage. I can't say it more emphatically. This idea that money will solve every issue that you have is a mirage. You can, if, if your marriage is, is burning to the ground, you can spend all kinds of money and it's not going to make a difference if you're not submitted to Christ. Money in that way is a mirage uh, and, and it's a false hope. It's a false truth. The worldview is, though, is that it'll solve everything. At the very least, it might insulate you from a few things. It's not going to solve your deepest need. It's not going to solve your need for Christ. The gospel, on the, on the other hand, Jesus shed blood, his death and resurrection, uh, that, 
<laughs> that, is, that is worth, it's, it's priceless. I, I don't know how else to say it. That's what solves our deepest need. That's what, that's what answers life's most difficult questions. That's what fills the void. So in our affections, we're called to be different. Stay focused on the gospel. We're also called to be different in our pursuits. We're called to be different in our pursuits. Notice what he says right there. Uh, rather, than, rather than attaching ourselves to the worldview uh, and the desires of the world when it comes to finances, uh, look, what, uh, look what he says in his pursuits. Look how different it is. He says this, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Do those things, do those things, uh, do, do a little self-analysis either now or later today. Write down your top three life pursuits. The things that, that you have, the things that you have pursued the top, the top, just do the top three. The top three things that you pursued. Is holiness on that list? See, the great story that Barry had to share was, was is that his dependence upon God started to run up that list pretty fast over the last year, hasn't it? Right? And, and he had an idea where God was taking him. He had an idea where God wanted him to minister in life. He had an idea of, of generally speaking, what, uh, what God would have him to do for an occupation, for sure, for sure. So you could say that there's those, those top pursuits there when it comes to, to our job and all that sort of thing. And sometimes the hard lessons, but sometimes the beautiful lessons, like when Barry's story is, is, is that God shows us uh, a whole lot more when he takes us on a detour in life. God's detours are not bad, they're great. Is holiness on that list? Don't write down your Sunday school answer. <clears throat> Don't write down what you know uh, because you've grown up in the church so you know that, well, my top three pursuits have to be this, this, and this. Don't do that. Be completely honest with yourself and you write down the things that you've really been going after in life. And then ask yourself the last question, is holiness on this list? This is what he's saying that we should be different in. We should be different in our pursuits. Holiness has to be at the top of that list of pursuits, Paul's telling Timothy. See, uh, by contrast, the default position of our flesh and the default position of the world is the pursuit of happiness. That's, the, that's, that's your uh, sinful nature's default position. That's what the worldview mentality is constantly pushing. You can turn on the TV. You can watch every commercial uh, for 24 hours a day on TV. I don't suggest this, by the way. This is only just hypothetical. They, every commercial will appeal to your flesh in some form or fashion. So the default position, the default drive of the world and of your flesh is this idea of pursuing happiness. I'm here to say that God's default uh, recreation of you and desire for you is to pursue holiness. Is to pursue holiness. Will happiness be there? Sometimes, absolutely. I'm not saying we deny good things. I'm not saying we deny celebrating what's right. I'm not saying we deny and, and, you know, and live some sort of a, you know, a, a, 
you know, somber uh, existence that is, that is happyless. I'm just saying that as a top-level pursuit, God calls his people, he calls you and he calls me, he calls all of us that would name the name of Jesus to pursue holiness above all things. So we need to be different in our pursuits. We also need to be different in our battles. We need to be different in our battles. We need to fight the good fight of faith, he says there in verse 12. To fight the good fight of faith. The idea there in the Greek is to contend. Uh, to contend, to be, to be a contender. And so it doesn't mean that we're not in the mix in life. It doesn't mean that we're you know, hiding out in a cave or a monastery somewhere. We need to be in the mix, but we need to be fighting the good fight of faith. What is the good fight of faith? Here it is. Here's my definition. The good fight is a choice. It's a choice to pursue God's will by faith on a daily basis. That's the good fight of faith. Right? That's, that's it in kind of a nutshell form. The world is all over the place. Uh, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> there's all kinds of fights and arguments and things being stirred up. And it seems like it's just more and more. Maybe it's because we, just have, we live in the 24-hour news cycle where there's no break. You know, there's no <clears throat> static that we used to have when we were kids. Like after 12 o'clock, the TV just went off. Probably a good thing. Like you kids know nothing of that. Yeah, what's that TV? Austin's got it figured out. A lot of people are fighting out there, and they're fighting the wrong fights, even in the church. They're fighting the wrong fights. Paul says to Timothy in the next epistle, in 2 Timothy 4, chapter, or, uh, chapter 4, verse 7, he says about himself, kind of looking back over the story of his life, and encouraging Timothy, he tells Timothy this about himself. He says, I have fought the good fight. In other words, if we want to see what that good fight is, study the life of the Apostle Paul. Study the life of all the apostles. Study, study Christ through in the, in the Gospels. You will see, you will see an approach, and you will see the approach, the right approach to fighting the good fight. He says, I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Also, he says to the Colossians, in Colossians 2, 1 through 3, through 3, Paul says this, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. It's the same Greek word. It's the idea of a fight, a struggle, or to contend. You can add conflict into that. And we think when, we, when our ears hear conflict, we kind of, ah, conflict, it's all bad. We can't have any conflict. That's not biblical. That's not, that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying fight the good fight. Contend the right way. If you're going to have conflict, have it the right way and about the right things. So he says, for, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you in those in Laodicea. As for as many have not seen my face in the flesh, <clears throat> that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attending attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's saying, hey, here's, here's the real deal. These are the real things that we're contending for. He's saying, hey, church, and I'm saying, hey, church, 
We, we, we need to be digging in, mining in, and, and, and looking for those hidden treasures, the hidden wisdom and knowledge in a sense that, that you'd, here it is, and it's all based on Barry's testimony, you're not going to find it if you don't go through any conflict. You're not going to find those things unless you put yourself out there in faith and say, all right, God, I'm following you. I don't care where the trail leads. I'm going to follow after you and then allow God to lead, even if it means going through the desert. See, Paul's fighting for unity and knowledge on behalf of the Colossians. I think we need to be doing the same. The next one is, the next thing we need to be different in is we need to be different in our mindset of the present and the future. Where he says, lay hold of eternal life. <clears throat> Fight the good fight of, fa- of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Matthew Henry says this in his commentary. It ill becomes any man, any men, but especially men of God, to set their hearts upon the things of this world. Men of God should be taken up with the things of God. There must be a conflict with corruption and temptations and the powers of darkness. There's your battlefield. There's your court for conflict, if you want it. Matthew Henry says it really well, right? There must be a conflict with corruption and temptations and the powers of darkness. He goes on to say eternal life is the crown proposed for our engagement, we are, to, <clears throat> we are called then to lay hold thereon. We have, to, we have to be different in our mindset of both the present and for the future. The next one, for the sake of time, I'll move quickly. We need to be different in our calling and our confession. The next phrase, you were also called from First Timothy 6. You were also called and have confessed. Uh, it's two sides to the same coin. I'll just abbreviate it that way. It's two sides to the same coin. Timothy was both called, uh, I like to use the military term, he was drafted in to this uh, eternal war, drafted into the kingdom of God, and he also confessed, he also volunteered. It's two sides to the same coin. Timothy had to consider both so as to set his thinking right for the fight. God has called him, and he's also freely chosen. We need to see that our Oh, and calling and confessing, <clears throat> confession in that same light. Then, then Paul gets real emphatic. He gets real absolute about why. He says in the sight or, or with these examples, and he says this, in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession. So he's pretty much telling Timothy, hey, uh, it's kind of an oath in a sense. Like when you were drafted or volunteered into the military, if that was you, you know, you took an oath. You made a pledge. You were brought in in that sense, and, and, and there were witnesses. And here he says, hey, here's two witnesses. You're making this witness. You're making this confession. You have this calling and confession in the sight of God who gives life to all things. And also before Christ who witnessed the good confession, the Father, the creator of all things, the Son, who's the faithful witness with the good confession. It's interesting that all through history, uh, two things have been under attack from the get-go. Uh, the truth of creation and the truth of who Christ is. 
Those things are constantly being barraged in our society. Uh, it's amped up like never before. Uh, we don't live in a society. We live in a post-Christian society. We live in a society that, that does not believe the creation account at large. And at large, they don't believe the truth about who Christ is and who he says he is. The denial of God as creator has done wide damage in our culture. Some of the biggest damage that's come <clears throat> from the simple fact that many people no longer believe that they have a creator. Uh, and so not having a creator, not, having, not believing in creation, not believing that, that somebody has made you, made me, uh, puts people in this position. They don't have to be accountable to anybody. If nobody made you, then there's no accountability to anybody. That's the first problem. Also, there's nobody to honor. There's nobody to be accountable to, and then there's nobody to honor, nobody that we should esteem higher than anybody else. And we land exactly where our culture is with an I-first mentality. And then, of course, Jesus... Uh, when it came right down to it before Pontius Pilate, I told Pontius Pilate exactly who he was in the shortest words possible. <laughs> it is as you say. So in keeping this commandment, this is the next one, the next one we need to be different in. We need to be deepening, deep in, <clears throat> different in keeping this, in quotations, this commandment. Timothy was commanded to do these things, to stay faithful to remain uh, and do the job in Ephesus. He was commanded to endure and to teach the truth. And he was commanded to demonstrate the truth. If you thumb back through the book, this epistle, this letter to Timothy, you'll see those, those uh, <clears throat> dynamics play out through each chapter. Paul was constantly building him up. Stay faithful. Keep teaching the truth refute wrong doctrine, understand where it comes from. It's demonic. He just kept hammering these points time and time again. And he says, hey, here's the commandment. Stay faithful. Stay on point. Demonstrate the truth. You can't teach it if you're not living it. So live it and teach it. Get it done. In summary, and then the last one is, the last thing that we need to be different in, we need to be different in expecting Jesus' return. Timothy's to fight the good fight until Jesus' return, Paul tells him. And history is full of examples of men who have overcome these incredible odds of warfare, and, and he lays it into this battle context where he says, fight this good fight. You think back through all the pages of history. You think back over all of these, these times, these stories and the movies that have come out based on true stories of incredible odds in warfare because of one thing. Because the soldiers knew and they loved their leader. That's why they fight. They fight for one another and they fight for, their, for their, their, the guy that's the first guy off the helicopter and he's the last guy back on. And they're going to follow that guy right through the bullets. They know him and they love him. And that same dynamic plays out for you and I when it comes to our, our leader, Jesus. Are you willing to go through the bullets for the sake of Christ? I say that metaphorically, hopefully, <laughs> in the era that we live in with all that's going on that's crazy. I get it.
But are you willing to follow Christ through the difficult times? Are you willing to, to uh, <coughs> follow him in waiting for his return? That's why Paul then describes Jesus to Timothy in this, uh, these battle terms. He says, he who is the blessed and only potentate, poking the finger at the emperor of Rome, talking about Jesus. He said, hey, he, you, you want to know who your real potentate is? It's not, you know, it's not the emperor, it's Jesus, right? You want to know who the king of kings and the Lord's of Lord, Lord of lords is? It's Christ, who alone has immortality, who alone has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light who no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Paul kind of wraps up this uh, prayer and praise in a sense that Timothy, uh, to charge Timothy up in a way. Then he gives him one last final instruction. So we're called to be different. In verses 17 through 21, Paul gives Timothy essentially these, this charge, and that's to be rich. We're to be different, and we're to be rich. And you might be thinking, what, what, are, what are you talking about? Like, be rich. I'm not talking financially. There's different things and different ideas that are out, out there. Notice that Paul doesn't scorn the wealthy there. In verses 17 through 21, let's go ahead and read it. He says, command those who are rich in this present Age not to be haughty nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. You notice that last phrase, lay hold on eternal life. This kind of comes at the end of both charges here in the last section. Notice Paul doesn't scorn the wealthy. Uh, that's a real popular mentality in our day. Is that, 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 and you just hear it. You just hear it over and over. I'm so tired of hearing this, you know, that <clears throat> this idea uh, that, that uh, the wealthy need to pay more. Whatever, pay your fair share. You're just going to hear it constantly from podiums on the TV uh, from certain people. Who, you know, they need to pay more. They need to pay more. And it's a scorn. It's a, it's a push to the populace to despise those that have money that somehow they're automatically evil if they're rich. Paul doesn't say that. Uh, Jesus doesn't say that. The other apostles don't say that. So we have to guard ourselves against that mentality. We have to guard ourselves against that mentality kind of buying in. And, and it's easy. It's easy if, you don't, if you're a person of not many means. To just automatically assume that somebody that does have means is up to no good. It's, it's a trick of the enemy, and, uh, and it's a real sleight of hand move. We need to be careful not to buy into that mentality. Not at all. I'm not saying that some people that are wealthy don't have uh, evil intent. Absolutely. Guess what? A lot of people that are flat broke have evil intent too. That's why they're walking into convenience stores with a 9mm and shooting the place up so they can get enough money for their next fix. Evil intent has nothing to do with where we are uh, financially. It's across all the spectrum. But this hypocrisy that's in our culture, culture is really uh, thick. 
Um, this idea, it's kind of interesting in a way. It is, to me, it's hypocritical that we would scorn those with money, but the reality is, is that everybody out there really wants to get wealthy. Uh, and then we dem demonize the wealthy for not paying their fair share of the tax bill. It's really kind of an ugly, hypocritical loop. We need to just avoid it. And so Paul gives them these two warnings to the wealthy. He says, don't be haughty, don't be prideful, don't be arrogant, don't be boastful. And then he gives this one. He says, don't misplace your trust in the riches that you have. That's the two traps for people with a few bucks is that they can swell up with pride and then they can misplace where their trust really comes from. And I've proposed to you today that there's a difference between wanting to get rich and being rich. There's a difference between wanting to get rich, get wealthy, and actually being wealthy biblically. And Paul here emphasizes on the being rich part of it. So what does that look like? How can we avoid these cultural traps and the desires about riches? Uh, it comes down to kind of this idea, this concept that Paul lays out if you really look at the, look at the text there at the end of the chapter. It lay, comes down to this. It comes down to inflow and outflow. You could replace those words with income and expense. I like to use the word inflow and outflow uh, because I think that it adds to it a little different dynamic. So what does it look like to be rich? What is, it, what is he talking about? Uh, being rich is this, if you want a definition. It's trusting in God's provision, whatever it is. Whatever it is that God has for you to put your hand to, to bring income and to provide for you and your family, are you trusting in that at whatever level? Because it's not about amount, it's about trusting in whatever is there. Uh, <clears throat> I'll tell on Tammy and I a little bit. She knew I would. When we first got married, man, we were, uh, we were not living high on the hog, I'll put it that way. And I don't think we're living high on the hog right now. Uh, we pinched pennies, we lived in a single wide trailer, fortunately it was paid for. Uh, we scraped and worked and and saved, and just to pay the bills. Like at that point in the farm, I was only bringing in off the farm income, I was only bringing in 600 bucks a month. And we had bills, we had student loan debt, and so we just did whatever it took. And then we had kids. And then we had another one. Then we had a boy. I like to tell that joke that way. The reality is it's not about the volume. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't uh, push ourselves in the right way, you know, and, and, and look for opportunities. I'm not saying that you need to be, you know, satisfied with it. Well, nobody works for five bucks an hour anymore, I don't think. Maybe your kids do if they want to go to a wanna camp. <laughs> Pay them more than that. I'm just going to say that. Pay them more than five bucks an hour. But <clears throat> nobody works for five bucks an hour. Like if that's where you're stuck, don't just stay stuck there. That, that's not a bad pursuit, right? It's not a bad pursuit to, to improve your income, your inflow. But being rich is trusting in whatever God's provision. And that's the essence of Barry's testimony. That in a time of, you know, not having a job, 
uh, wandering around town. By the way, can I, can I say this, Barry? If anybody sees Barry wandering around tra- town, know that he's not homeless and know that he's not jobless. He's just driving around Chewila because he loves the community. Is that fair to say? All right, good. <laughs> Notice what Paul tells Timothy. We need to trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. God is the provider. He's the one that gives us richly all things to enjoy. You know, some of the most content people, we talked about being content last week, some of the most content people that I know or have been around were people actually with some of the least amount of money or possessions. We took a trip down to Juarez, Mexico, uh, and you say, why would you go to Juarez? Uh, Yeah, we went to Juarez. This was before all of the cartel murders, you know, all of that that had happened years ago. We went down there on a missions trip, (coughs) and uh, we were out in the slums. We stayed in the slums. We stayed in a in a, uh, an orphanage, a boy's home, and um, <clears throat> I would get up early in the morning and walk up kind of on this ridge that overlooked the boy's home and kind of looking at the community, kind of these flowing hills, and all around me were people coming out of houses that were made out of pallets and cardboard, and guess what? They came out of those homes looking spectacular. Like it, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't process it. Like their clothes were clean, they were clean, their pants were freshly ironed, their shirts were freshly ironed. They were coming out, that's all they had, but they made the best of what they had. And they were content. They were, had cheerful, they were off to work, they were doing this, they were doing that. That's what God had given them richly to enjoy. And they were enjoying that. See, many take this statement with this consumer mentality that it's all for me. That, that I'm the one, you know, if God's going to give it to me, then it's for me, you know, to consume. It's all for me. The result is, is that uh, if that's the case, then we end up laying up treasures for ourselves and we're not rich towards God. We'll get to those verses in a minute. The second side of the equation is the outflow part of it. So on the first hand, being rich is trusting in God's provision. The outflow side is being rich is trusting God will work in your generosity. That's what we're called to. Last week was contentment. This week, he really hones on to this idea of being generous. And God works through generosity. He says there, look at verse 18. Speaking of those that are rich, Timothy's supposed to tell them, let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Being rich is trusting that God's going to work in generosity through you. Now the opposite of being generous is what Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 12 in this farming parable. I don't know why I keep choosing the farming parables, but just stuck to my mind. Luke 12, I'll just read a few verses. Jesus says, Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. 
And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then, <clears throat> then whose will those things be which you have provided? And Jesus says this word that pretty much tipped them all over. He said, so it is. He who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. He's not rich towards God. We're called in generosity to be rich towards God, to be rich towards our heavenly Father. Uh, this, this, guy, <laughs> this guy had some serious issues. Uh, none the least, I, I, I cannot, for all the years, I'm 51 years old. I know there's other farmers in here, I'm looking at Ed, that have been farming a lot longer than I am. I can't think of a single person that would do what Jesus is talking about in this parable. Like would take, uh, you know, barns that are full and say, well, let's just tear them down, we'll build bigger ones because we'll have more to come. Uh, <clears throat> that has always kind of shocked me in a sense. But it doesn't shock me when I stop and really read through the text because five or six times this guy says, I. Five or six times this farmer starts talking about, I will do this, I will do that. I'm gonna have a good time then. I'm, you know, we'll have this, we'll be, we'll, no problem. We'll have everything covered, we'll have more storage space. So notice all the I statements in that passage focuses on him, his agenda, and his pleasure. This man owed his life, he owed his livelihood and his wealth to God. But most of all, he owed his soul to God, and that's what God was going to require. That's what God was going to require of this guy. What does it mean to be rich towards God? What is Paul telling Timothy about wealth? What can we draw from these passages about generosity. If the worship team wants to come on up, we'll close out. I just want to make two last points. Two last points about all of this. The first one is, as Christ followers, God is at the center, and we orbit around Him, including our resources. We have to remember that. We have to live that type of Christian existence. We need to have that type of mentality that's totally different than the world's mentality about stuff. We have to see that God, whatever God has given us, a lot or a little, it doesn't matter. We need to be faithful stewards. We need to be good with God's resources that He's granted us. All of that. But at the end of the day, we have to keep this in, mental, in, in, in our frontal lobe that we orbit around God, not the other way around. God doesn't orbit around us. He doesn't just come in, pop in once in a while, hey, how you doing, checking in, you know, got everything you need. That's not the way it works. That's the way the, the world wants it to work because the world's mentality is, is that, that everything revolves around me. No, we need to revolve around God. We need to orbit around Him, including our resources, including our resources. The second one is, as Christ followers, as Christ followers, we are to leverage all that we have 
for his kingdom and for his glory. We're to leverage, we're to take whatever, whatever, a lot or a little, doesn't matter, and we're to leverage it to, to advance the kingdom of God, to, to continue to propel the gospel in our communities and beyond. That's the essence of the mentality that Paul's leaning on Timothy about. We're to leverage all that we have. If you were here last Sunday night, uh, you would have heard uh, Josh talk as our head deacon about our finances and and, uh, and the fact that, and, and I don't know exactly how you said it, but essentially, God just keeps blessing us, and so we just keep looking for places to go with the money. Like, how can we bless more people? How can we, you know, and, and the, it's just some crazy things have happened financially. Right? It's so awesome. I, I, I'm hoping that, that you would rejoice <laughs> with us in that sense. Like, I'll throw out a number. As a, as a body, and this is not a statement of pride, this is a statement of, of how God is working through all of you, all of us as a church. As a body, uh, last year, this church gave over 84000 to, towards missions. Between what the, the board had budgeted and then extra blessings with that and then what was designated by you and was just sent out. And I say that to say not as a thing that like we're awesome, we're the end of the road for Christianity as a church. That's not it at all. I say it in humility, but also in a sense of excitement because that's what we're doing. We're leveraging whatever the resources that God gives us, we're leveraging those in a way that makes a difference in our community and makes a difference around the world, helping people out, spreading the gospel, and expanding the kingdom of God. As Christ followers, that's what it has to all be about. Whatever it is, a lot or a little, is not the issue. It's not a matter of volume. It's a matter of stewardship. Final remarks, and I'll turn it loose to Daniel. Verse 20. Paul's last thought. He says, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. Avoid the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. So he says, just leave all of that. Just avoid it. It's not worth your time, son. It's not worth your time. But is what is worth your time is God's grace. So he says, grace be to you, Timothy. And I'm going to say, grace be to you. Let's stand and sing our last song as we close.